Welcome to another edition of Laugh, Lend and Eat the Podcast with your host Bobby Nogmi. Bobby is the National Sales Manager for First Option Mortgage, as well as a writer for several mortgage magazines. With this hot real estate market nationwide, we decided to create a roundtable of real estate agents to answer some of the most pressing questions everyone is asking. While some of the answers were expected, some of the information we found was, well what can I say? Surprising? So sit back, enjoy and get ready to learn a lot on this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Laugh, Lend, and Eat the Podcast. And uh, we have set up a quite a panel today for everybody. So I hope you guys uh, have some time to sit back, uh, enjoy the show, and, and, and obviously take the information that we're going to share today because this is the first time that we're doing a realtor roundtable. And um, we're going to be discussing a lot of the hot topics that any buyer is out there dealing with, any uh, mortgage loan officer may want to get some insight on what goes on inside their realtor's mind. Uh, this might be a really good episode to tune in on. Uh, I can't guarantee you that we'll get deep inside their minds, but we'll figure it out one, one, one second at a time. So let me just go around the horn and introduce everybody that we see on here. We have, first and foremost, we have Ryan Keaton of EXP Realty from Ashland, Kentucky. How you doing, Ryan? Hello. We got Laura Delgado from Realty Professionals of Atlanta, Georgia. Laura, how are you? We have Gloria Zalea of eHomes from all the way from Los Angeles, California. So... I know you're three hours behind us, but thank you so much. <laughs> and then from my hometown, we have Chris Cummings of Washington, D.C. of Keller Williams. So, Chris, I know you didn't take you long to get out here, but thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. So, guys, I know this is a, 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 a roundtable discussion. And, and, you know, just for the sake of, of this meeting or this, this episode, I want to make sure that we all understand that this is a conversation. We're not going to get into any kind of uh, uh, specifics or, or details where you're going to open up your book and look into any kind of legal stuff. So, you know, we'll try to stay out of the legal re- legal realm of the real estate industry for right now. Um, look, I mean, right now we are dealing with a couple of different things. So first and foremost, right, we have the COVID pandemic, which hit a year ago, right? We marked the 12-month anniversary thing next week. Um, you got amazing inventory crunching going on. So there's really, just like we were talking about before the show, like really no inventory, two houses or something left in the market. Uh, And at the same time, you have a rising interest rate market where rates have inched up over the past few weeks, you know, Um, and once again, we can dive into that later on. But right now, Ryan, in your market in Kentucky, I mean, what is the most, I guess, glaring thing that you're seeing that I guess is an impediment to selling? Is that a good way to say that? Yeah, I think for our particular market, it really just boils down to uh, inventory. Uh, because, you know, the, the interest rates are still really good. I know you had mentioned they're inching up, but I mean, they're still inching up and they're still historically low. (laughs) So, uh, so I think what you see is some of the people that are seeing that inching up that maybe was sitting on the sidelines for a minute have decided to get back out there. So between just the volume of buyers, we're coming into the hot season, you know, which we didn't really have a a decline here, Mm -hmm. but really the impediment is just the inventory and the availability of, of options for these people. Cause you know, in any price point, we may have one or two for them to look at and that's if they're lucky. Wow. Wow. Laura in Atlanta, I mean, how are you seeing uh, the challenges in the Atlanta's uh, home market right now? Laura, I'm going to do the 2020 quote of the year. You're muted. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get a t-shirt made like that. You're muted. There you go. There, <laughs> there you go, Laura. Okay. Hey, Laura. Um, hey. So very similar market here as well. Um, lots of demand, not enough inventory. Uh, one of the things, the largest challenges that I'm seeing right now is that what I'm seeing is that sellers don't want to let go of their houses because the value is there. So they're mm-hmm. seeing that their house is worth it. So why let go of something that's so good, right? right. But then the other aspect of it is that uh, buyers are are continuously offering more than what the house is worth. So that's another issue with appraisals. Okay. So what, what we're seeing here is that people are offering twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 over, over um, asking and uh, so pretty much, you know, we're sure when it comes down to appraisal. So these buyers really have to prep to make sure that they can actually cover that difference. That's such a great point. 
Gloria, I mean, in LA, I mean, obviously appraised values are nationwide. I mean, pretty uniform now as far as the guidelines go. And with the values that Laura just talked about, I mean, how are you guys dealing with that in LA now? Um, a lot of these buyers are being super aggressive. Um, I mean, people are removing inspection contingencies and appraisal contingencies and or they're putting clause in there, I will pay ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars over appraised value. Wow. And so, um, I mean, the first time in my career, and I've been doing this for over twenty years, mm-hmm. um, I put an offer on a property that had sixty offers. Sixty. Um, sixty. Um, I saw on Instagram another person in Orange County saying there was a hundred offers on one property. Wow. And so, um, and we do have like inventory because I mean, I mean, not as much as we should, but it's just the amount of buyers right now that are out there due to, I mean, even though like, you know, someone else said interest rates are are rising, it's still the lowest it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And then I think also with COVID, people want either more space or they want out of their apartment. Okay. You know, they want, you know, um, and so that's a lot of the things that are happening, but I mean, and over here, viewings are like usually, you know, sometimes they're just the day for a few hours and we have 15 minutes to get in and out. If you miss your appointment, you miss your appointment on to the next. Mm, so wow. it's, it's very much like it's 11 to 2 Saturday or Saturday and Sunday from this time to this time. And so it's definitely, um, it's different. I mean, things slowed down last year, maybe for two months, and then it just ramped up and it hasn't stopped. And we haven't seen it slow down at all. It's just it's becoming more and more competitive as each month goes by. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, you mentioned Instagram, and I want to give Chris this little thing here because I saw Chris on Instagram the other night doing construction on a house. Right, Chris? I, that was you, right? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so he was actually remodeling a house to put on the market. I'm going to imagine, right? You're not just doing this for your own kicks, right, Chris? You're trying to actually prepare a house for, I guess, whatever you're doing with these houses to... Uh, I wish I could say that. Create uh, inventory. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could say it was to go on the market. Um, it's actually an in-family home. Um, my father, is, is his home is a rental property, so... Uh, we was uh, redoing the floor, but to piggyback on that, that's what a lot of what's going on, uh, a lot of fix and flips, which mm-hmm. is kind of driving the market as well. And you're in that Northeast market of D.C., right? Is where in I saw your office. DC, uh, I mean, I'm not going to re- regulate you to that, but that quadrant, I mean, just for people who don't know the D.C. market, there's four quadrants, right? Yeah. Northeast is one of the four quadrants historically it's the one that adjoins PG County, right? Yes. And historically it was always the most, I guess, unfavorable. Is that the right way to say that? Or least favorable or I don't know how you want to say, right? I I would say depending on the time uh, or or the market conditions, um, some people would always say, I will always hear that I would want to stay in the district, but Mm -hmm. couldn't afford the district. So a lot of people would go over the line to Maryland. But now Northeast is like a hot market. Yeah, the Danewood community is very. Right? I mean, it's like the prices have, have soared. The market is like amazing. People are, the well, fix and flip is, is what was really going on down there, what I've seen. In this quadrant is a lot of first generation homeowners. Um, so pretty much you have Mr. Johnny from that owned the home since 1930 and just never passed through the family. So once the house is... Uh, available due to certain circumstances mm-hmm. you got a bunch of investors that come in and get their hands on them do the renovations like you saw me doing <laughs> and then just driving the market value through the roof and chris there was another thing i saw on your instagram and this is totally off topic but you had some cowboys prom- promotion dallas cowboys promotions on your instagram which i took offense to now is that is that was that was that a misread on my part a uh, promotion? I don't know if it was promotion. <laughs> I might have just liked the colors. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm a I'm a Redskin guy, so or Washington oh, football team, I should say. Sorry, I'm, I'm out of line. We have to talk about that off camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, let's let's go back to Atlanta real quick. Uh, how are you guys dealing with the investors coming in to buy up a lot of the the markets? Right? I mean, that seems to be what Chris just kind of alluded to right there, Laura. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we have investors coming from up north, investors coming from the West Coast. Everybody has money. 
We have uh, a large, uh, strong Asian community in the area too, that they have tons of cash. Uh, the other day I went to a house, there were 97 showings in that day. Wow. They already had over 72 offers uh, and they were all cash. So it's like cash versus cash. I mean, you know, of mm. course, no appraisal, nothing, no contingencies in there. Uh, but yeah, people just have money and they, everybody wants to fix and flip. Everybody wants to be an investor. So it's very competitive. And it's at the end of the day, it's, you know, who's going to offer the most yeah. um, and who has the funds to do it. Ryan, in your area in Ashland, Kentucky, because this is, this is an, a unique area of the market, right? Out of all the four markets, I'm least familiar with it, right? Thanks to our mutual friend, Tom Hobbs, I've become very intimately <laughs> with that market as of recent. Right. I, I, prior to that, I was like, I know it's in the eastern part of Kentucky now. I know you guys border Ohio and, and West Virginia. Right. I think those are the three states. Um, what do you think is driving this lack of inventory, this investor, this in a, such a rural part of Kentucky that I mean, what you're just started the conversation with is there's no inventory. Yeah, it. Part of me thinks it makes zero sense because there's not, we don't have, you know, our economy is not like a thriving economy. There's, you know, we've had a lot of employment leave. Uh, so, you know, a lot of plants that have closed and things of that nature. But, you know, one of the things that we had this prior year was a huge influx, and it's still occurring now, of people from out of state. Okay. And part of that, I believe, is driven, you know, from talking to these people is, once COVID hit, people started working from home more. So now people can work wherever they want to. They can live wherever they want to. Right. You know, politics drove that, you know, good, bad, or indifferent on any side. It was just, sure. there was this, some of that. And then just wanting to get into an area that, that was slowing down, you know, because, um, you know, Ashland is, is still in many ways kind of stuck to like maybe the 80s and 90s and that kind of stuff. So, um that's really the inventory. I think that that has gobbled up some homes that may have been available to, to other people, the interest rates. So, you know, we still have a lot of first time home buyers that, that are jumping on, you know, our market is really heavy, heavy government backed loans. So a lot of FHA, a lot of USDA, mm -hmm. which are those people that are just kind of starting out. So it's people that, you know, those rents have started creeping up to, you know, to the point to where they could go out and buy a house because our average sales price point is 115, I think, or yeah. something like that. So it's really low. So it's a it's a spot that a lot of these people can actually, you know, kind of change their life trajectory, you know, versus renting. Yeah. Gloria, to your point in California, there seems to be more of an exodus out of California than like where other states are feeling like Laura was talking about Atlanta. Yeah, thank you, because I've done that. That California's helped me out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's are you, like are you seeing that? I mean, but you're, you're talking about numbers that are pretty high also as far as low inventory, kind of a lull, but then back up peaking again. And so well, what I mean, we hear this exit out of California. I mean, there's people that exit California. I'm one of the rare uh, born and raised in California. Um, mm -hmm. I'm from L.A., wouldn't leave L.A., um, <laughs> But I mean, um, you still have those people that, that that are just like me. They they're born and raised, or people that have come over here. And one thing that I've gotten a lot of people, and it's it's um, and it's the first time I've done this in my career, is people coming from like the East Coast to LA and doing like the virtual like here's your home, and then them purchasing it without seeing it. Wow. Wow. Um, it's the first time I've done that, you know, in my career. And I've done that a few times since COVID where people have been buying homes without even seeing the property because things are going so fast. Um, but I mean, it hasn't slowed down. I mean, people are leaving and, you know, uh, you know, I've showed a few homes, people going to Arizona, Texas, right. uh, Nevada. Those are usually the three states that people migrate to from, from California. But um, it hasn't slowed down. People are still buying. People are because people are working from home too. So people are going further out to like to um, you know San Bernardino, Riverside, mm -hmm. to Kern County. You know, so they're going to different areas. But things are still flying. So it hasn't yeah. really slowed down here. Somebody was telling me that there was like Orlando, Florida was like the number one destination out of California. Is there any truth to that? 
That I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of it, I mean, which would make sense is um, people, um, I know realtors in Nevada where they get tons of people from California. Yeah, I, I was in Phoenix just a few months ago and I mean, felt like there was a like an enclave of cars coming in from California. Yeah, well, we're on lockdown still. So um, especially LA County, we're barely, barely opening up, um, you know, um, where if you hear someone in the background, I'm still homeschooling my daughter. So wow. she's here and she's been here for a year, hasn't gone back to school. We're hoping by um, the middle of March she'll, or next two weeks, she'll be back in school, but that's still like part-time. So um, we've been, you know, so people go still going to Nevada, Texas, Arizona to uh, kind of feel normal. Like, you know, yeah, um, yeah. of being able to go out to eat at a restaurant to um, just go walk. I mean, everybody here were, were mandated to wear masks in LA County whenever we just leave our house. So even for I, a walk or now is that affecting the way people, I mean, I know you talk about virtual and you're with e-homes, right? So, I mean, you mm-hmm. guys are doing a lot more of the virtual stuff from what I understand, right? Yeah, correct. We have a lot more of the Zillow leads, online leads. Um, but you know, you still have people that want to see a home. Okay. Um, so what's affected us a lot more is how we're showing homes, meaning um, most of them are just doing, you know, two days or, you know, even some agents are doing one night on a Wednesday night from, you know, four to seven, make your appointments and it's 15 minute increments. And you have those 15 minutes. If you're 10 minutes late, you have that five minutes okay. and then out. Like wow. that's how it's been a little bit more that we don't have open houses. We just have set times now for us to go and we, you have to make it work. Wow. Chris, is it still, is it still cheaper to buy than it is to rent? We'll say yes, yes. And so if, 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 if let's say my son who's 23 coming up on 13, <laughs> if, I, if I said, hey, you should go buy your own house, right? Because it's still cheaper to do that than it is to rent. I mean, what kind of parameters are we talking about? I mean, are we, are we looking at something in DC? Are we looking in Maryland? Are we looking in Southern Virginia, like down in Prince William County? Uh, I mean, it all, it, it all depends. Um... I know you heard, we heard a few uh, agents say, you know, pretty much it's more so cash is king and whoever that, whoever has the most liquid is pretty much going to win. Um, but in, in this market, it, it depends on the client, uh, you know, and, and the jurisdiction, um, you know, being as though it's, it's like a tri-state, I would call it, mm-hmm. um, you know, we you get a lesser price point where you can get more home and I would say it's, uh, particularly Charles County. Oh yeah, maybe about 40, 45 minutes outside of the district where everyone wants to reside versus if you reside and purchase in a district, you're going to be paying maybe about 30% more of that exact home in, in a more of a congested area because in the district it's just, it's just everybody's over top, over top of everybody. We have half a million dollar uh, efficiency condos here. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that is a that is a true point there. Laura, in, in Atlanta, I noticed that, you know, the nice thing about my job sometimes is I get to travel to all these different cities and see different market trends and different you know what I mean Atlanta is just really spread out. Like there doesn't seem to be like an a a true end to like, okay, Atlanta really ends right here. It just feels like it goes north, it goes west, it goes south. <laughs> yes, Atlanta, I mean um, I focus more in Metro Atlanta, but Metro Atlanta covers 20 something counties. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, so it is huge. And, um, you know, Georgia itself is a huge state, so you could go anywhere, but, um, you now, know, is it, have- is it difficult to market or when you're trying to show someone houses? I mean, are they specific? Hey, I want to be in Swanee or I really want to go to Bucket, which are two different absolute areas but they're still in Atlanta different style of living and everything so it's it's very particular to the buyer where you know where he chooses to be uh if they have little ones if you know the school districts is the most important if they just want to be closer to transportation because of where they work so it all depends um but I mean there's just so much going on but you know luckily thank god I have a team 
that everybody can spread out. And uh, so we have, you know, offices in, in one county and offices in another county. Um, and that works. That's what's working because if I was doing everything on my own, I, I'm a little insane, but not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, this market, it's, it's just, you know, like they were saying, it's very aggressive. Yeah. Hey, we're going to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about what I see realtors doing really good. And I've been in the business since 1994. So FYI, so I've been doing mortgages. I know I don't look that old, but seriously, I am. <laughs> good genes. <laughs> good genes, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I've, I've, I've always seen realtors do really well is that they know how to brand themselves. You know what I mean? Realtors were always, to me, kind of ahead of the mortgage loan officer when it came to personal branding like to distinguish yourself. And I know Laura, you have your, uh, you're with your company, but you also have like LD team, you know what I mean? Right. And that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think Ryan, you have your own uh, like show or something inside of the EXP Realty brand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got the group and then I've, I do a bunch of different things like that. Yeah. So branding is very top of mind. <laughs> Ryan, walk me through this. Like how do you develop your brand? I mean, as a realtor, I mean, what did you do? Like, did you, did they take you through a course or did you just brainstorm one weekend, one bottle of wine? What, what, what happened? <laughs> well, yeah, I had some lives prior, professional lives prior to getting into real estate. And one of the things that I knew very definitively that I wanted to do was to, to be very specific in my direction. So I, actually spent a pretty good amount of time sitting down and developing what was going to be my brand. What, what did I want my identity to be? Uh, I'm really big on focusing on the why, why did I want to sell real estate? Why do I want to get up and do this every day and consistently doing things that, that flows into that purpose. Um, you know, I think that, you know, for me, it was, do I want to make a lot of money? Yes. But is that what drives me? No, because I don't think that if money strictly drives you, eventually sometimes that's going to burn you out. But if there's yeah. other passions, so I really try to focus, uh, you know, all of my branding, all the efforts that I do over a, you know, kind of around that specific theme, which is I really like educating people. I like trying to help people and bring them along in the process. Uh, so all of my videos, the, those kind of things that I do, the, the podcast, the things that I do are typically around trying to educate the buyers or the sellers so that way they can understand the process more because it's, you know, buying a house is scary for most sure. people. I know we've got people buying sight unseen and all those kind of things, but um, which is scary for us too. But, you know, I really want to try to make sure that the buyers and the sellers are as comfortable with the process as possible and try to eliminate and and alleviate that that stress point Chris what about you I mean how did you come up with the brand that you that I've seen you now on your I mean I did a deep dive on everybody's social media right uh and uh, so I got an idea of the brand that you're trying to create. I mean how did you come up with that brand that you came up with Chris it seemed like uh, it was trying to appeal more to a younger crowd maybe I could be wrong but that's what it felt like I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm probably the younger or the newer realtor on the podcast. <laughs> so, um, majority of my sphere is first-time home buyers. So, um, uh, just a, a brief, um, you know, I used to be a, a truck driver, and I always wanted to uh, assist people with, you know, furthering themselves in life. And I, I got to the point where, um, you know, selling sodas is not helping someone create generational wealth. Right. So, um, one, I decided that uh, I wanted to get into real estate mainly primarily for the monetary, but, uh, like Ryan said, just to actually, um, help someone out further on along in life. And, uh, always wanted to use my name. My name is kind of popular. My last name is kind of popular in the, in the Washington DC area, but I wanted to, you know, make sure that it's known that it's Chris, Chris Cummings Holmes team. Um, so that's pretty much how I uh, started branding myself. And I also wanted to make sure that I was relatable. Um, like Ryan said, buying a home can be very scary and my sphere is first time buyer. So I always wanted to make sure that I could brand myself to the point where I'm very relatable, uh, approachable, and make sure that I can hand out the information and give the education to make it as smooth as possible. It doesn't mm -hmm. always go that way, but make sure that 
within the transaction that the client and buyer know as much as they can possibly know. So they can sleep easy at night. We can sleep easy at night knowing that we did a good due, uh, due diligence. Yeah. Laura, when you and I were talking, when we were getting ready for the show, I can't remember, it was like a week ago or two weeks ago. This has been a blur of a couple of weeks. You talked about how you kind of were doing this part-time and then the last two years you've made that decision, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create my own team. Obviously, you had to think about branding at that time. Like, how am I going to brand myself to kind of, because look, there's a lot of agents. There's a lot of Spanish-speaking agents. There's a lot of uh, uh, female Spanish-speaking agents. So, I mean, how do you distinguish yourself? The more we can slice and slice and slice, you still have to stand out among the crowd, right? So Absolutely. Um, actually, I think I had a head start from just being very relatable and actually working in the community because of my previous businesses. Um, you know, I always worked with the community. So my reputation since I started when I was 18 was mm-hmm. primarily like my top notch uh, priority. You know, if you say my name, you know that I've either helped you back then in the accounting office or with, you know, as paralegal work, as an interpreter in the federal courts, as in the car dealer business. So I had so many different things that I did, but I always helped people the, the best way I knew how, you know, and I always put myself in their shoes. If I'm in this process, how would I want somebody to inform me and, you know, to piggyback off of what they said, it's very, very important to actually be relatable and, and to, to understand why the client is thinking this way and be a good listener. That's one of the things. And this is my business, actually, when I decided to do just real estate, because it was just too much going on. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I naturally like to help people. So why not? I had my license uh, 19 years ago. I got it, but it was just a challenge. It was one of my really good friends. He was a mortgage broker. He's like, Laura, get your license. I think you'll do great. I said, no, I don't think so. This is not for me. And he said, I bet you can't pass the test. And then that was it. It was very competitive. Um, And so I went for the test and I came back and I said, see, I got it. And so we did work a little bit, um, but it wasn't my primary. And then two and a half years ago, um, different things happened in my life where I said, you know, this is just too much. The stress levels were extremely high and I decided to just be really good at one thing. And mm-hmm. I picked real estate, you know? Um, so I don't really brand myself or market myself. Everything is referral. Wow. 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 So Gloria yeah. on, on this t- same topic, I mean, when, when clients are, are shopping around and they, and they see your name, I mean, I'm guessing you're getting a lot of referrals from Zillow leads, right? Because you guys are a premier uh, realtor for Zillow. Right? Correct, yeah. Um, so how do they distinguish? I mean, how, do they, how, do, how would someone like me say, okay, Gloria is the lady that I want, I want to trust my next purchase with? What, what would make me, you stand out like that? Uh, it's a combination of things. Um, it's like if you go on Zillow, we have reviews. You know, if you read those, I mean, uh, most of my clients see, like I do a lot for my clients. They become personal. Um, you know, and most of them stay my friends. A lot of it has been um, personal leads, you know, people that um, I've known for a long time and um, friends to friends of friends and family. So a combination of that, I mean, I deal with some investors, everything. Um, I know for me, it's just mostly, I wanted to fill in the gaps and that's when I started at eHomes. And it does because the thing is, is that real estate constantly changes. And because of that, a lot of people do go on Zillow and automatically just, you know, click and then we get connected to them. And that's really the way things are going. You know, people go online, you know, and they just go like sometimes they want to go directly to the source or what have you. And so online leads um, have gained it, you know, gained a lot of momentum especially I think with COVID mm-hmm. people go online and they look and then they click and then boom, you're connected. Yeah. So I think that's the way of the future to a point like anything with, with people looking online to see before they purchase. And then once they're ready, they go on and, you know, um, talk to a realtor. Yeah. It was interesting. I had the president of Finlocker on my show a few weeks ago. Finlocker is a company that does, um, um, they'll prepare, it's kind of like the credit karma, but for the mortgage industry. Mm-hmm. So the client will prepare 12 to 18 months ahead of time to actually make their purchase. And so I asked Brian, Brian View, that's his name. I said, Brian, 
you know, we've been talking about this sunset, right, for mortgage people, right? And I'm sure realtors also, where if you're not on the bandwagon with technology, like, you're just not going to survive, right? I said, Brian, are we like two years out, three years out, you know, 2025? He literally said, Fabi, this is the year. If by the end of this year, you're not on the technology bandwagon, the gap between the haves and the have-nots will be too great to, I mean, the division will be too great. So yeah. I really do believe what you're saying, Gloria, is that we are on that, that border now where technology is more and more in, enhancing, right? Yeah. And to that point, I mean, I, I'm going to go back to Chris for a second. With the social media presence, Chris, I mean, how do you <laughs> – it's weird to say this. At what point do you draw the line between, hey, this is my personal life and this is my business life on social media now? Uh, I really can't say – uh, there's a point when I draw the line. It's um, it's a day to day, day to day thing. Um, I have to make sure that I input that I am in real estate and put some content out there just to remind people that mm-hmm. hey, I am a realtor. I'm a trusted realtor. But uh, you know, again, just to make sure that I'm relatable. Um, the content that I put out about sometimes my personal life keep people engaged to me, and then I just sprinkle a hint of hey, I'm still a realtor. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the secret. See what he's just talking about—a little personal, little hint there, boom, boom—and next thing you know, you got somebody hooked, right? Yeah, definitely. Is um, make sure that I just put out there, you know, hey, I'm still a real person. Yeah. Because the title, I, I look at it as like you have doctor, lawyer, then realtor. What about the mortgage, about the mortgage loan officer, man? Well, you left us out. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> be like chop awesome. liver around here all of a sudden. Hey, I have a, mm. uh, a lender and need to get a house. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, I saw on your Facebook page, if I'm not mistaken, you had picture you had a personal Facebook page and then you had a business Facebook page, right? So you right. were actually trying to delineate between people that are in your personal life versus business business life. Is that on purpose that you did that? Um, yeah, kind of. Cause you know, a lot of, even though a lot of people in my personal life know what I do, I also want to, uh, separate the two. I don't want to just put houses if it's my personal Facebook or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do kind of try also, to. I, also, I noticed stuff. Alvin was on both of them. That's a problem. You gotta oh. have Alvin pick pick one of the two, right? <laughs> no, I'm just gonna unfriend. No, I'm just kidding. Just unfriend him on your personal unfriend, site, right? I know, I know. He got in there quick. <laughs> right? Is is there a strategy that you're using for social media presence? I mean, or is that something that you even focus on? I mean, because you do have some other stuff that you're doing really well on. Yeah. No, I am very, very in tune. I have pretty much from the beginning. I knew social and online was going to be my entire platform. I have never ran an ad in a newspaper. I've never done a magazine. I've never done anything except for online because that's, you know, that's where people buy. Uh, but I do the same thing to where I have a separate personal page and a Facebook page. And and that was more, that was definitely a decision that was a very thoughtful decision because I wanted to separate the two because for one, I didn't want to you know, I keep my social, uh, my Facebook business page very, very active and very consistent. I do a lot of scheduling and, and you know, I think that consistency is key. And I didn't want to necessarily have that flooding out to everybody on, you know, my Facebook page, personal mm-hmm. page, and to realizing how frequently they change the algorithms uh, for what they're doing on social media. And I understood that, you know, to really get my post and those kind of things seen, if I wanted those seen, I was going to have to have a business page to where I could be running ads. Or if people like the business page, they're going to tend to see it more. Whereas the personal, it's a small volume of people that actually get to see each one of those individual posts. So that's the way that I approached it. So obviously this, this is more just for visual, right? For me, but is everybody on Facebook, right? Facebook? Yes. Raise your hands, right? LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, right? Instagram. We're all on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe for Ryan. Okay. Ryan says maybe. I'm on Instagram, but I, I, 
that was another very conscious decision as well for me personally. Okay. I wanted to make sure that I did a couple social media platforms really, really well. And the ones that I didn't necessarily buy into personally, like Twitter, I know it's great. I know it's good. But for me, I didn't get how I could put that to use for myself personally without putting a lot of time and effort into understanding the platform. What about TikTok? Who's on TikTok? Anybody on TikTok? Nobody's on TikTok. Because there's a ton of realtors on TikTok. It's crazy. I go on, Chris, you've been on TikTok? No. <laughs> my problem is I go on TikTok, right? And I start watching the videos and like 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh my God, I'm supposed to do something else. <laughs> like all these realtors are doing this dancing and it's choreographed. There was this one uh, lady down in South Carolina and her and six of her assistants, I guess, were walking the streets of Charleston doing some kind of dance. And it was like, this is, and they're selling real estate like this, right? It's crazy, but it's like, that's what they got to do. Uh, yeah. Clubhouse, the newest thing, the newest rage. Has anybody heard of Clubhouse? Yeah. Ryan, you're yeah. shaking your head. Chris, how about you? Have you heard of Clubhouse? Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay. Gloria? Yeah. I'm on it, but I'm not, like, active on it. I still yeah. need to play with it a little bit more. I've heard mixed reviews of it. Mixed reviews of Clubhouse, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you heard of Clubhouse? I use it a pretty good amount. You do? Yes. So how are you explain to us because I am lost. Like I go on Clubhouse and within eight minutes I want to log off because everyone is like a billionaire. They're like a guru. They have self-discovered their ch inner child <laughs> and they want to meditate with the Dalai Lama in, uh, in the middle of New York City Times Square or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's all before they're 22. <laughs> 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 so walk me through this brother please help me out yeah, so the way that i've used it and um you know the founder of our company for exp has been fairly active on there as well so you know he's been involved in a lot of of talks with other you know billionaires and millionaires so i've been involved in some of those discussions and talking about that but then we've also used it in a couple different ways to where we would bring in you know, with EXP, the way our company are set up is that, you know, we're a national company, so it's not a franchise kind of thing. So it's a little bit different. So I'm used to having peers like this kind of situation here. So maybe eight or 10 of us will jump on there and we'll talk about listings. And, and I think that's been something that's been very beneficial is like, okay, what are you doing there in Atlanta that would blow people's minds here that is just commonplace. So it's been a good think tank to get with people and, and discuss ideas and things that they're having success with in their market that would pot potentially translate with a little bit of tweak to, you know, who I am in my market. And that's the way that I've used it because then it's, you know, it's good live conversation. But are you attracting homeowners or home buyers, potential home buyers with Clubhouse? Or is it just more of a think tank where you guys, everybody can kind of brainstorm different ideas, mastermind even? I've not used it in or uncovered a way to use it for actually getting buyers. Besides, I've met a couple agents in these different things that ended up having somebody and I got a referral, but got it. Um, <laughs> that was just an ancillary benefit. But, you know, for the most part, it's more as a almost like a LinkedIn, but a live LinkedIn to where you're actually talking to people in, in the particular environment that you're going, but I haven't used it for sales. I got turned off when I heard this one gentleman in some mortgage room one time, and he said he had opened up eight offices in 60 days thanks to Clubhouse. And I was like, come on, man, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe you hired eight people. I go with eight people, but you're going to eight different markets. I mean, I open up markets all the time and 60 days is like, you know, if someone's really good, it takes one, like six days to open up one market, like just Ryan, between you and me, Tom, we took like eight months to convince him to join. <laughs> this is one guy and his team, right? Yeah. So how are you going to get eight people in 60 days? So I was like, okay, maybe I'm missing something on Clubhouse, and, but uh, I, I'm not sure. So I want to get back to one thing real quick, which is credit guidelines, right? Because in the last year, we've seen the credit guidelines, and I know I'm going more in my, in my arena right now, so hopefully you guys can bear with me. Do you guys, when you guys are pre-qualifying someone, Gloria, are you looking, are you asking the mortgage person to say, hey, what's the credit score? Is this something that you're going to be able to work with? Or are you just saying, hey, get this guy a pre-approved right now for $400,000. I really need to go show him a house. Um, it's a mixture of things. Um, 
at first, it depends on the client. Because um, some clients already know, you know, when I'm meeting with them for the first time, and some people don't know. Um, but one thing that with the mortgage brokers that I work with, one of the things is it's more than just getting them approved, it's really getting them qualified. So when we put that offer in, we can close it. That's, you know, everybody's end goal. So it, I mean, it's the package deal. It's it's the making sure that they're they're well qualified, and if you know, obviously there's other programs. If their credit is bad, you know, granted they're paying a higher mortgage um, interest rate, but you know, every client is a little bit different. And some people are willing to pay that higher interest rate just to get into a home. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just the package, making sure that they're qualified, not just like approved. So I mean. Laura, to you, I mean, is there something that on a on a credit score that would make you nervous, I guess? Or are you open to letting your loan officer kind of guide you? Of course, I have to let my LO guide me. However, I do want to know what the credit score is. I do want to know what the DTI is, the front and back ratios, and make sure that we're okay, you know? Um, so before I'm going to take anybody out, I'm going to do my due diligence to the T, having the accounting background. It's, you know, yeah. I definitely do the numbers beforehand. And then I call my lender to make sure that what they're telling me is right and say, now run the credit, find, find out. And uh, we run with the numbers, you know. Um, but yeah, it is, it is important because then I get to tell them a little more about the programs that they can qualify for too. Yeah. So. I heard yesterday, Ryan, uh, a friend of mine at a bank said that they just got a memo saying no more scores below 640. Boom. Like, don't even bring it to us anymore. So, I mean, if you're dealing with someone with, the, say, a 605, I mean, does that, is that going to now stop you or would you go look for somebody that would, could offer a 605 credit score offering? Now, one of the things that I do is I, you know, I have a, a panel of uh, lenders that I will tend to go to and I know what they're good at. You know, because every lender is going to tell you, oh, I can do any loan that you bring to me. I can figure it out. I can do this. But the reality of the, the fact is people do certain things much better than they do others. Not that they couldn't do the other thing eventually. But sure. Sure. Uh, so I do ask a lot of questions, find out where the people are at. Uh, and then once I send them over to the lender, I, I trust the lender. I let the lender do their lane and I try to stay in mind the best I can with the new information that I have. But, um, you know, with, because I've got banks that did that, you know, before COVID as far as the credit scores. Uh, so I know where to send those people, um, you know, and, and Tom being one of those that, you know, cause I mean, he's going to run through a wall to try to help somebody figure out a way to get a loan. So mm-hmm. having those type of, of champions in your market, you know, for those people that may be fringe buyers, especially, uh, in, in a market like mine to where, you know, there's a lot of first time home buyers that, you know, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So that's part of that education process that we talked about at the very beginning that I think is really important to just help them know what they're supposed to do to get over that hurdle. Yeah. Chris, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of first time home buyers. So I mean, or as you said, you're dealing with a lot of first home buyers. Are you now, I mean, challenged with any of the credit scores that you're seeing or are you, is it take maybe 90 days or, or four or five months to get them to the credit score that they can qualify with? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say no. I mean, lately, I don't don't know what's been going on, but lately, everybody's score has been pretty much relatively yeah. good. You've been sitting at home not being able to spend any money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get a lot of free time to pay bills and get caught up. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, like everyone said, you know, I pretty much put it in the hand of the LO and uh, do want to know everything up front just so we ain't out spinning wheels and get into that crash and burn situation um, in the back end of the deal. So we definitely want to know uh, where they at, make sure they're pre-qualified versus pre-approved, mm-hmm. um, you know, before we get out because they can lose interest real real fast if they get out there and you're just spinning wheels and showing a bo- bunch of possibilities that can't become reality. Right. Good point. Good point. Guys, we're coming up to the end, and I'm going to ask one last question. So we're just going to do a little rapid fire real quick because it's really important for my audience who is basically mortgage people, right? When I first got in the mortgage business, <clears throat> my, my thing was that I used to always go knock on realtors' doors. You know what I mean? And back in those days, you could go to almost any office without anybody stopping you. And 
as long as you had a box of donuts or bagels or something, they'd all be your buddies, right? Um, it's a little different today, right? It's a little bit more challenging. It's a little bit more, uh, especially with COVID, we're not sitting in people's offices and cubicles and not everybody can reach out and, and, and bring you a box of donuts. I guess the question that, that I come back to is, or that I want to end with is, what can a loan officer do to get your attention, to give them that one shot? I mean, I'm just going to start off with Gloria. So Gloria, I mean, I'm just going to start off with you real quick is if I'm a new loan officer, my first year in the business, I decided to make a switch. You know what I mean? From car insurance to this is exactly what I did, right? From all student insurance to here. Uh, how do I get your attention to give me a shot at one of your deals? Um, I think for me, I'm a little bit like old school. It's like, just pick up a phone. Like not an email, like not a DM or, you know, any of that stuff. It's like, keep it personal. Like real estate is personal. Just pick up a phone and just be like, hi, and like have a conversation, like not be gimmicky or, you know, just kind of be like, hi, my name is, you know, and just keep it just like, I guess more like just a phone call is not bad instead of a text message or an email. I like that. I like that. Chris, what about you? I mean, you're, you're fairly new to the industry. So if a new loan officer knocks on your door, or calls you or texts you or how do they get your attention? Uh, I would definitely say communication is key and very vital. Um, and again, you know, to relate to my personality, being a little bit more personable. Don't want to get into the situation where you can't reach the, you in the middle of a transaction and you can't reach the loan officer and you the face of your client like, Mm. What's going on? So, <laughs> I would definitely tell the uh, loan officer who's trying to obtain my business, make sure that communication is very vital. That's cool. Yeah. Ryan, how about you? How do I get your attention today? Yeah, I would say I am 100% in his camp that that would be the quickest way to lose me as a, a referral is, is communication. And um, because, because it's just so paramount, I, I, I think sometimes the loan officers, uh, you know, can lose sight of how much we can actually save or correct an issue that it may be their issue that needs to be done with a loan, but we can just, you know, we have a different relationship with these, with these buyers. So something coming from us may resonate entirely different than what a loan officer would tell them. And it'd be the same exact information, but they just hear it differently from us. So I think communication throughout the whole process and, and um, you know, being available, you know, because our jobs are not nine to five, you know, so that's the reason a lot of times that banks are are tough to use because, you know, if I go out and I'm seeing a, a first time home buyer, they call me at six o'clock and I can get them in a house at seven thirty or eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. I need them to be pre-approved and at least functioning as, as a potential good <laughs> buyer before we go look at that property. I need to be able to get a hold of that lender that will answer the phone and knock that out in 15 or 20 minutes, or at least look and go, Hey, this is going to be really good. Or, mm, you know, you might want to pump the brakes a little bit. Let me take a little deeper dive of this and make sure they're going to be good. Okay, good, good. Laura, how do I get your attention? I mean, I'm knocking on people's doors. I'm ringing the bell. No one's giving me the opportunity to, you know what I mean? Like I remember my first nine months of the mortgage business. It was crazy. I was pulling my hair out. How do I get your How do I get your attention, Laura? I have a lot of hair, so this is a good thing. <laughs> um, absolutely, communication is key. You know, uh, pick up your phone. Just pick up your phone. And I don't mind the DMs because I know how busy we could be. I mean, right now we're sitting here, and I'm still, you know, responding because if I respond. I'm on top of things. And mm -hmm. that's what I expect from a loan officer as well. Just let me know what's going on. Uh, um, don't go missing on me. Uh, mm -hmm. And absolutely what Ryan said, you know, sometimes we we're working at six, seven, eight, we're submitting offers, nine, 10, 11. I, I work crazy hours. Maybe sometimes I'm a little bit of a workaholic, but I like to stay on top of things. And uh, I always say, why wait for tomorrow? You could get it done today because tomorrow you'll have a larger pile of things to get done. And then, you know, I, I just don't like that. Um, so I, I pick and choose my lender to be able to work at that pace. Um, and performance. I mean, do what you're telling me you're going to do. At the end of the day, your words, you can sweet talk me all day. You can bring me donuts, whatever, and whatever you want to bring me, of course. It's all <laughs> but at the end of the day, your performance is going to speak volumes of who you are and your work ethic. So if you have 
have a really good work ethic. I'm all yours. And, you know, and, and agents want that. They want that relationship and they, they want to be able to rely on somebody because just like, you know, we're the, we're the faces to everything. You guys are not available or you, you know, the, the lending hours end at a certain time after that, it's on us. Wow. And we still have, you know, people still have questions and we have to answer them the best way that we know how, but if we're informed of what's going on, then yeah, then we can get the process rolling and we can calm the client down. Oh, it's on my clients. Give me your stress. Don't stress about it. Just let me know what's going on and I'll help you. Nice. You know, so, so absolutely. That's, that's my main thing for a lender. I would think All right, guys. Well, look, sorry, you're going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say one other good thing to add there is that, you know, one of the things that you were talking about is how do we get you to send business? Remember, if we do that, then we've put our name out there with the client and the client's trusted us. So if that delivery is not there, that communication's not there, they're not mad at you. <laughs> the uh, they're coming yeah. back to us and saying, why did you tell me to go to this guy? I've called him 10 times and he's never responded. So yeah. yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and just just in closing, I mean, when I had my own mortgage company, I mean, my I would get calls from realtors or whatever, right? I say I can't get hold of this, and I'd bring the loan officer into my room, put the speaker on, say, now you can talk to him right now. And the loan officer would hate me to do that, but I said, you're not going to ruin the reputation of my company just because you don't want to talk to and give bad news. Get it over with. <laughs> whatever it is, let's talk about it. Let's hash it out. You know I mean? if there's a solution. There, if there's not, there's not. You know what I mean? But let's not ruin the brand because the brand is 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 what it is. And, and all communication is good communication. Yeah. yeah. Great point, Chris. Great Love point. The all right. Well, listen, we have run out of time here. I took up way more time than I imagined I was going to. Mm -hmm. I appreciate all your all's cooperation with this show today and, and giving us your insight. I wish you all much success in your all's market. And with that, have a great day, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Laugh, Lend and Eat, the podcast. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, First Option Mortgage and One Good One Staffing Services. We have enjoyed all the comments we have been receiving. Please keep them coming. To be notified of any updates, please be sure to subscribe to Laugh, Lend and Eat on the listening platform of your choice. Thank you for listening and have a great day.